Good morning, church. There is so much at stake as we have gone through this series, the battle, and if you would, the battles that you're facing, maybe over the weeks as we've been walking through this, we're looking at the unholy trinity of the world, our flesh, and the devil. I don't know if stories are starting to be written in your life of conquering, of victory. I don't know if you are able to be watching God give you the grace to start seeing how to fight and how to engage in this battle. And when you start seeing progress in this war, all of a sudden what was once fuzzy and confusing is crystal clear, and I hope that happens today. So open with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And as you open to Mark, Mark, you're right there, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four Gospels. We're going to be looking at a teaching from Jesus as we land the plane in this series, The Battle. And we're going to put all of the pieces together. We are going to be asking some questions. And one of the big ones that I want to ask you this morning is, what if the condition of your heart, my heart, determines the outcome of your battles, of my battles? What if, everybody with me? What if it's not as much about just us versus the world and us versus the devil? What if it's not just about understanding that there's a, there's a flesh, there's an old nature inside of us, but there's also just a, a condition of our heart that so much of the war is either lost or won based on? And one of the clearest teachings from Jesus is about this metaphor, a farmer and seed and four types of soil doing a self-assessment of which type of field am I? What kind of soil is my heart right now? Because it's not if God's speaking, and it's not if whether or not seed is being cast or whether the farmer is planting because he is. The issue is, where is he finding your heart in regards to receptivity to the things that he is speaking, to his words, to the seed of God's truth. And we need to get low to ask God to do a work that only he can do. Do you believe it's a miracle for us to go from hard to tender, for us to be defiant, to be then receptive? That's a miracle. We're going to walk through the first 12 verses, Mark chapter 4, and as we read through them, it's going to get us to verse 13, and that's where we're going to start diving in and go verse by verse to unpack what Jesus says here. So this is Jesus standing to speak and teach, and he spoke to a large crowd then. He's speaking directly to us this morning. Same message, same parable. A parable is a heavenly teaching. It's a heavenly lesson that has such practical and tangible evidences in our lives to live out. It's intended for us to not just see the metaphor, not just to hear the story, but to grab hold of what its powerful message is. And here he says this, again, he began to teach by the sea, Jesus. Very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat. He sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Talk about an awesome amphitheater on the water. How cool is that? And he was teaching them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, listen. Sometimes Jesus needs to get our attention. Listen to me. This is pretty important. When he gets pretty fired up, we, we should be like, what, what, what? Because he wants us to check something out, right? Behold, behold, check it out. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed, 
fell along the path. The birds came, devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. We have some images of, of a farmer casting seed. It's landing in different places. Then we have a scenario here. The sun rose scorched it had no root it withered away other seed what happened to this other seed well it it fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold and he said he who has ears to hear let him hear and when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked about the parables like all right jesus you kind of got up got fired up painted this picture and then you kind of walked away uh could we get like the inside scoop here what, what exactly did you mean by that do you know that there were times in jesus ministry when he laid out the parable intentionally masked what was being said and taught and then walked away and we have a pretty good idea of how to interpret but don't you love it when jesus is like how about i just help you out I will answer. I will clarify. I will give you the interpretation. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. May indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. We have a lot of questions when, when we have parables being told that Jesus is intentionally trying to provoke those and some are going to say teach us we want to know would you instruct us would you interpret for us and others that have no interest in knowing more are left to themselves thinking that they know better and they have no need of a teacher and i wonder for us as we think about this parable that we would have understanding of what he's teaching here god would you show me the condition of my heart god I'm not as concerned about you changing my circumstances. I want you to change me. Jesus, he warns us of these three enemies that we've been talking about in the first one. He says, fight Satan who seeks to steal. Fight Satan who seeks to steal. He is a thief. Do you know that? Do you know that? That Satan steals. This is what he does. Verse 13, Jesus, help us understand. What did you mean by this parable? He said to them, do you not understand this parable? And with their finger way up their nose, they say, uh, uh, no, 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 I don't. No, I don't. I don't understand. And maybe this morning we're like, okay, good. Because if they were like kind of stuck, I, I don't feel bad about having any confusion about this. Do you understand? You don't. You don't, do you? How then will you understand all parables if you don't understand this one? Jesus has a pattern with his parables. Well, verse 14, here we go. Here's our first explanation. The sower sows the word. The word. Somebody say the word. The, the Bible is going out, right? The word is being proclaimed. And this is the seed being cast. Verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them so if we're talking about four types of fields four types of soil the first one here would be this rock hard topsoil and where is this battle where is this war waged this is 
above ground with Satan. It hasn't even gotten into the heart yet. Before it even gets in to take root, something happens. We see that as a bird, as a crow swoops down and snatches it, Satan steals the word. Can we get really practical? Anybody, anybody interested in that? I get kind of fired up about, like, what do we do with this? Well, here's a list for you, okay? I, I was going to try to do three. I couldn't do three. I almost got to 10, backed it up, said, back the truck up here, five, five, because I love you, and for the sake of time, we're just doing five, all right? The first one is, what does Satan do? Well, he contradicts the word. Anytime you have a whisper in your head that says, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 right there. But isn't that also true? Contradiction. Who's in charge of that? Uh, the CEO of contradicting God's word is, is Satan himself. What else does he do? He, he twists the word. And I don't know if you have been in this place where maybe even as a younger believer or maybe if you're not a Christian yet and that you, you're reading the word and maybe you're asking questions and some people are like, well, this is the way I see it. And, and you're like, well, okay, maybe that's it. Well, God uses us to be able to help clarify the word. Satan even uses sometimes friendly fire to help assist in twisting the word. Sometimes it's just in our own head of, well, this is the way I see it. As I have sat down with many people reading the word together and I read it and before I even get into any kind of application or understanding and explaining, I just think that scripture is really, really clear. It doesn't need a lot of assistance and understanding, but it's amazing how Satan would come in and just twist that in somebody's mind and go, well, this is the way I read it. And everybody's interpretation is equal because we're, we all have valid interpretation skills. And somebody help me out and say, ah! Uh, there, there is a right way to interpret the word. There is an accurate interpretation. Many applications, one interpretation. Okay, well, that sounds very legalistic and dogmatic. Well, Jesus kind of thought that by the parable that there would be one interpretation, but many applications. And here, Satan wants to twist the interpretation and the application. How incredible is it that we are so prone to listening to the twisting? Have you fell victim of that i used to think and now i realize that what i understood or what i thought or how i took the scriptures for my own benefit to try to justify my lifestyle and my actions and satan is there to assist what about number three when the word comes have you been here maybe in the past weeks you've been here the word is cast out it is preached it is taught maybe you've been in a small group you've been in a study and all of a sudden you hear the word, you receive it, and it's like the very next day you walk out and all of a sudden, here it is, number three, persecution comes. Like, I'm so willing to receive it. God convicted me. I was in tears. And then the next day, I get mocked. I get attacked. I was offended. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm out. I'm done. So the word came, and then so did a little bit of persecution. And Satan's like, yeah. That's right. This life, it's not worth it. This is too hard. Go back to what's easy and familiar. And he uses persecution, whether from Christians, maybe friendly fire persecution from your workplace, your extended family, 
Maybe this Christmas is a time where you are going to be like, and I'm in the word, maybe for the first time in a long time, and then I want to open my mouth around the table, and what happens? Shut up! We're not going to talk about that around the table. Let's just enjoy each other. Why do you always have to bring up religion? Why, why is everything spiritual to you? Why are you bringing up God? And you're like, all right, I'm done. And Satan's like, that's right, you're done. And is it really worth it to keep going? Persecution. How about number four? Ignorance. For some of us, we have realized throughout maybe the past weeks, months, or years that we thought we kind of knew a little bit of the Bible, and then pretty soon it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And Satan wants to whisper, oh, you, you thought you were somebody? You thought you were mature? You thought you were down the road? Look at how small you are, how ignorant you are, how little you know. What do you have to contribute? You should probably just take a back seat until you kind of get this figured out, right? Or for a new believer, I don't know where you're at, but I remember times where I would speak, I would open my mouth and then get shut down and realize, man, I have no idea how to answer people. I don't know how to respond back. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut until I get studied up and God kept bringing opportunities in front of me and Satan kept saying, uh, do you even know what you're talking about? Do you even know what to say right now? Do you know how to respond? You are useless. So stop in your ignorance. Shut up. And I hope that you're recognizing maybe Satan's voice in your ear as we walk through these. Last one. This might be a little self-serving, all right? Allow me this, allow me this. Suspicion, suspicion. Is that spelt right? You can, you can Google that, okay? Suspicion. Why, why would Satan use suspicion? Well, I had a bad experience in church, therefore I'm suspicious of all churches. I had a bad experience with somebody that brought the word to me and because they did it wrong and they were too harsh or the way they approached me wasn't helpful or I felt criticized and judged, now I'm suspicious of anybody that gets too close with the Bible. Could we get real practical? Anytime preachers stand up, do you know what Satan wants? Who is this guy? Who's this guy? He has nothing to say. He doesn't even know me. The thing that he just said, it, it feels kind of critical and judgmental. Um, I'm going to stop taking notes now. I don't know if I'm coming back next Sunday because I got offended. Suspicion. Suspicion. What's his motives? What did he hear? How does he know? Who's he been talking to? Satan. 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 Whispering in your ear. Divide. Withdraw. Isolate. I used to go to church. I used to go to church. Have you heard any of those stories? I used to, but now. I used to, but now. I'm so done with all that. What is it that you're done with? Satan wants you to be done with anything as long as you're away from the Word, as long as you're away from seeds being cast, as long as you are not close to it. He does not care in what way that you are upset, offended, and suspicious. He will use it all. Could I share a story? I'm preaching, and I have a tendency to move. Have you noticed that? There was a time in my life when in my moving... As I'm just walking, this is me just walking, I would walk by and occasionally I would just stop and put my hand on. On occasion, I would walk by, I would stop or look at somebody. And I remember distinctly the first time that it happened, suspicion, suspicion, that an individual, not here, not here, I'm not picking on anybody, that an individual went to somebody that went to somebody else that went to somebody else. And pretty soon I found out, hey, where did so-and-so go? 
well, they haven't been here for a couple weeks. And all of a sudden, half of the church was like, we all know. Could you tell me what you all know? Well, you know what you did. As you were preaching and you walked by, you, you put your hand on their shoulder. And when you said the thing you said next, you called them out in front of the church. And I'm like, I have no idea who I put my hand on. I have no idea what I said at that time. Uh, yes, you did. Suspicion, suspicion. What kind of preacher intentionally, publicly humiliates people? Well, guess what? Satan wants that to be the narrative. He wants that to be true. So if anybody feels like, well, you looked at me when you said that, suspicion, suspicion, every step of the way. I don't trust the Bible. I don't trust preachers. I don't trust the church. Where does that come from? Satan's really good at what he does. He wants to snatch it before it can take root. Satan will strike fast how this, this bird comes down, snatches quickly, and prevent any progress, whatever the strategy proves most effective. Do you believe that Satan has been doing this for a long time? His minions are pretty good at what they do. They kind of know how we work. They've been observant for a really long time, and they know what works for you. And so let me ask, what has been working well to steal your sanctification? What tactics have been so strategic by the enemy that have been working so well to prevent you from growing and maturing? What is it in you that the enemy sees and says, it's go time, and I'm going to hit him right there, and I know what to do because God, on the contrast, is calling you to prepare, listen, and welcome the word with all of your might. Everything I can do to prepare my heart Anything that I can do to engage and stay focused, anything that I can do to ensure that my heart is welcoming and embracing what God is saying, that is the battle of every single believer. I have to war. This means war, that there is an enemy that is seeking to snatch up and to steal. And if you're passive, you lose. If you sit back and you're unaware, if you're ignorant of his tactics, you lose every time. So why is it? this happened recently why is it that i had two conversations with two separate people after a message not so long ago and one person said yawn i fell asleep can you please do something different it was so boring and somebody else repented of a lifelong pattern of sin and confessed it why is it that the same word has very different effects it's because of the condition of your heart. It's the receiver. Can you ask yourself, is my topsoil so hard that when the seed comes, it just skips right off? It doesn't even have a chance. Is there a topsoil that is rock hard? And today it could be different. Today you could change. You could acknowledge it and turn from it and ask God for help. So is this you? Will you partner with God in victory or the devil in defeat? Because there's going to be a partnership one way or the other. Which one? Which one? And maybe that's not you. Let's look at the second one. Let's look at the second one. Maybe, maybe you are not the rock-hard topsoil where the war is above ground with Satan. Maybe it's this. Verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Which ones are those? Well, the ones who... When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. Ah, 
I am so excited. I can't believe you said that. That's exactly what I needed to hear. This changes everything. My life is going to be brand new now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And they have no root in themselves. But it, it endures for a while. And then, somebody say, and then. And then tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word. And how fast does it take before they fall away? Immediately. Immediately. What? What just happened? Are you schizophrenic? Bipolar? Can we talk about this? Right? There is something about this second uh, category that's not rock hard. In fact, there's receptivity because on the surface, there is soil as it appears, as you can see. It appears to receive. It can take roots for a little bit, but what we can't see is underneath. Nobody can see that. Only only you know, and maybe you don't know, and maybe today, this is the day, that there is a rock bed underneath. And as soon as roots go down and it happens quickly of, man, God met with me. Uh, I, I met with that individual and they, they worked with me over this issue and I feel like, man, I am, I am so past that and I'm brand new and I, I feel like I've finally resolved that problem or in church today, oh, Spirit was moving, and I was so convicted, and now I know what to do the rest of the week. And by Tuesday, you have a conversation, and they go, I'm going drinking with my buddies. Um, actually, I hooked up with my pagan ex. Actually, we had a huge blow up, and I think uh, I'm done with the church. I got back with some of my old friends, and wow, that was fast. No, no, no. What happened on Sunday? I mean, that was legit. That was legit. I mean, God was really doing that work. So then why this? As soon as the roots start going down, the rocky soil of the heart's like this far and no further. I'm willing to have an emotional experience, but I'm not going to walk it through. I'm not going to live it. Even though there's conviction, I'm not actually going to repent and turn from that. I'm willing to receive, but don't tell me to do anything after that. I like the excitement. I like what I felt Anybody have any feels in the house over the past weeks, months, years? There's a lot of feels that happen at church, and those feels last a few hours, and then what? And instead of saying, well, it was my circumstances, and, the, and then what was him? It was her. The then what was the condition of your heart was exposed. So maybe for you, it's not rock hard topsoil. It's rocky under soil heart the war is just below ground within my heart and so you have to ask are are you quick to receive and quick to reject never before have pastors preachers authors speakers leaders never before have we lived in a culture of such idolization and then demonization where we go i love that speaker i love that pastor i i love that bible teacher and then all of a sudden the next week Oh, I'm so done with them. Why? Well, because they said something that upset me and offended me. And so last week you were a fanboy and this week you're posting how much you hate them. Do you know what that reveals? It says a lot about you, not them. It reveals where you're at, not where they're at. And so I don't know in your eyes how you view pastors, how you view me. I don't, I don't know where I stand in your eyes, but can, can I give you a sneak peek? I am going to disappoint you and not a little bit like absurdly bad. 
and most of the time not on purpose. There was that one time, sorry, Jay. But I mean, the, the, for the rest of us, it's not like it's not on purpose, but there's going to come a time of, man, I trusted you, and then, and like I, I could receive from you, and I, I used to be fed by you, and then, and I would just say, maybe you need to flee the flesh, which resists the word because it's a condition of the, the heart. We feel the resistance, but we want to blame everything except for, man, it, it's my heart that's resistant. It's my heart that's the problem. I receive and I reject and I receive and I reject. And what if today you could say, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to have that type of heart anymore. I want, I want it to be different. And maybe, maybe both of those are not you, right? You're like, yeah, soil one. Yeah, soil, soil number two. All right, how about number three? Here we go. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Fence line to guard from the word choking world. Do you believe that the world system chokes out the word? You better believe it. Do you believe that now more than ever there is a intentional systematic approach to trying to destroy and undermine the word? Well, let's see it. What does Jesus say in verse 18? And others are the ones sown among the thorns. Thorns, here's our image, right? Here's the metaphor, thorns. They are those who hear the word, but, somebody say but, oh, uh, what happens then? The cares of the world. So it's not Satan. It's not their fleshly, emotional response. It's the cares of the world. What else? The deceitfulness of riches. Ooh, it's the desires for other things. It enters in. What do all those do? Well, it begins to choke the word. It, it proves unfruitful. And so we're not talking about rock hard topsoil here. We're not just talking about rocky undersoil. We're talking about weed-infested soil. Some of you know my, my testimony, and I know some of us have some similar testimonies. Different details, same story of we became Christians when we were fully saturated in the world, in the world system. We smelt like the world. We talk like the world. We live for what the world lived for. And then all of a sudden, boom! Like Jesus shows up in power, and we are changed but what's the problem? Like we're still surrounded and the thorns and the weeds are growing up into what God is trying to produce and something needs to happen because both can't coexist. A Christian that is radically saved, that has been pardoned, forgiven, doesn't continue living in that same stuff, doesn't continue having the same relationship with the world. Don't hear me say, if I'm a Christian, so I'm not supposed to associate with anybody in the world, so I, I don't hang out with lost people and ah, ah, ah. All right? Not that, not that, not that. We're talking about if you have been sucked into that system for so many years and those patterns are in your life, something has to happen quick. For you to be able to grow and flourish, you can't get entangled once again. You can't go back to that old way. And guess what? We're all tempted. We're all tempted. We're all tempted. Some of us, the temptations are greater. It's harder, okay? If there are very degrees, if we're going to compare, right, that not all of our stories are the same. Not all individuals have the same backstory. Some people are saved after they've already removed themselves from really bad situations, really bad relationships. But the reality is we have and we'll continue to see as a church more and more people that are just in the thick of the world and when they get saved, 
there is a desperate need for us to move and to help and to assist that there would be separation. Otherwise, thorns are going to choke the faith out. Do you believe that? Something has to happen. We got good fence, bad fence, okay? What is the priority for this type of soil? Weedy soil, thorny soil. We could call this fence lines. We have to build a fence. There has to be a distancing. There has to be an ability to discern. I can't get close to that and resist. I am going to be full bore all in. And so what's a bad fence line? Have you ever seen some bad fences? Ooh. I don't know what that fence used to look like, but I know what it looks like now. Or maybe that's how they put their fence up. But if we're talking about the world system sucking us back into and provoking us and wooing us back into sin, can we just be honest? You can self-assess. Some of us here this morning have built a fence and we go, yeah, I'm not going back to that. And it looks like this. Like, I know I shouldn't, but if I just bump it a little bit, well, I just tripped right in. Yes, you just tripped right into it. It wasn't my fault. I didn't intend. And all of a sudden, now I'm back with them and I'm back doing the same things. Where is your fence line so that you wouldn't become this hyper-legalist and demanding everybody build their fences just like you and have all the precautionary measures? But instead, you would at least, with some intentionality, be intentional, be intentional. Turn your neighbor and say, be intentional. Be intentional with, I know that I have this addiction. I'm going to talk to somebody about it, and we're going to build a fence, not right on the edge. I have a drinking problem, and I know I drive past the liquor store with nobody else in the car, unsupervised, alone. I have no accountability, and I'm just going to keep driving by. How's that going to go for you? That's a really bad fence. I struggle so much with gossip, and so... I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to have good intentions that I'm going to stop gossiping in 2024. Is that a good fence? I just have good intentions. And I made a resolution. I even wrote it in my journal. Boo. Bad fence. I know I struggle with sexual thoughts and lust, and it goes as far as now I'm with guys or I'm with girls or pornography, and my fence line is I just talked to one person and said, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Hold me accountable. And then I walk away. How's that fence? What does that mean? What, what does that look like practically? I don't know. Let's keep it intentionally vague so that if I, boop, oh, oops, oh, I didn't mean to, but I'm back at it again. Bad fence. What, what would a good fence look like? If you are struggling with something, can I rephrase that? The thing that I know that you are struggling with, could we clarify? Because we are all fellow strugglers. We need to get really specific and we have an opportunity in a new year with all of our resolutions that shouldn't just be good intention resolutions. They should be fence line resolutions. I am resolved to putting off this old thing. Therefore, I am going to ask the question, three steps before I even get there, what happens? And I am going to put the fence there because if I am tempted and I trip up, I trip up way before I even get into the sin area I need to think about what is going to help guard me. Our students, what does it look like to live pure and holy? If you're a Christian now, what does it look like to relate to the opposite sex? Part of our discussions do sound like if you are up late at night and you're laying in bed, is that a good fence or a bad fence? If you are struggling with 
addictions of any kind, especially substance, and you still hang out with the same friends that are addicted to those things, and you think because you're now at church or you're now trying to do the Jesus thing that suddenly that's going to stop you? The reality is you got to ask, should I be hanging out with them? Should I be considering when I interact with them? Should I be asking the question, who do I talk to regularly that's asking me who it is that's influencing me and what am I doing about it? and get specific and get specific. I need fences. When I first got saved, I dropped the F-bomb every other word. For 10 years of my life, I was so strategic of like, how many times can I drop the F-bomb in one sentence? And then all of a sudden, the battle started with, my mouth is not my own. What do I do with my mouth and my professional skills at cursing? What do I do with that? I was introduced to a group of guys that were like, I struggle with this and this is the steps I've taken and I need accountability and I need help. And pretty soon I was walking with a group of guys that every single day they said, John, how are you doing with your mouth? And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting, right? I'm surrounding myself with people that I'm not influenced by. I am trying to catch myself. A few months later, somebody said, all right, now that you got a fence line with your mouth, what about your mind? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not cussing anymore. And they're like, that's great, but where did it start? Oh, it starts in your mind. Well, yeah, that's not, it's not wrong to like cuss up a storm at somebody in your head, is it? And they're like, I think it matters to God. What? What? God hears my thoughts. And I'm like, I'm really in trouble now, right? That was the, the first discovery of God doesn't just care about the behavior and what comes out of me. He really cares what's going on inside of me. And all of a sudden, I had a group of guys saying, how's your thought life? How's your thought life? Now, I was catching it at the thought level. And guess what? It has been 20 years since a swear word has come out of my mouth, unless I'm reading the King James and talking about donkeys. But other than that, that there is there's something so powerful about having actual fence lines how far back do I need to go to start addressing this so that I don't go there? I don't know where your fence line is. I don't know if you've got a lopsided, teetering fence line that all you have to do is just bump into it and you fall into sin. But I would say that's a horrible plan to just try to willpower it as you're walking right on the cusp of that broken fence. You need to shore up some fences. And here's the, here's the reality for many of us. We've never even thought about fences. We've never thought about boundaries. We've never even thought about being above. We're kind of consumed in our culture with, what can I get away with? Just like the bare minimum. And don't ask me to do any more. Just, I want to do the least amount as possible. Anybody in the house ever thought that? At work, I just want to do the least possible. Financially, I don't want to go into crazy debt, but like, I just want to push it as close as I can. With my mouth, at least I don't say F, I just say every other word, but at least it's not as bad because I want to just do the easiest, least amount. I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm just addicted to cigarettes. I'm not doing cigarettes anymore. I'm just addicted to chew. I'm not doing chew anymore. I'm just addicted to porn, but nobody sees that. I'm not addicted to porn, but I just stare at women all the time. And, and pretty soon it's like, well, at least I'm not, at least I'm not, at least I'm not. And the reality is compared to Jesus, my fence line needs to be in a very different place if I'm going to see progress and the thorns are not going to choke me out and pull me back into the old. Are you willing to get specific and build them strong and away from the pit where you're going to fall back again and again? And you know what that's going to demand of each one of us? Not the bare minimum. It's going to demand like a lot of work and a lot of self-denial and a lot of accountability. So what is it for you? 
that you don't have just good intentions with new year's resolutions, but that you actually know God's been working on me. God's been pointing this out. Does anybody know about that? Do you have a plan in place? Is someone there helping you build a fence line and holding you accountable? And maybe for a season you'd say, I got to go much further than even I'm comfortable with so that I can make progress in this next year. What is it for you? If we are going to not just look at these three soils, not just rock hard topsoil, not just rocky undersoil, not just weed infested soil, where we see Satan, we see the flesh, we see the world. Do you believe it's God's plan for you to overcome all of these? I don't know what the new year is going to bring, but here is my heart. And there's been a lot of, a lot of tears this week, which kind of surprised me. In preparation for this message, my heart was just being rocked because I'm just praying through, God, how much victory is happening in our church? How many stories are being shared, not of good intentions, but of taking initiative to say, I'm so sick and tired of the old. I want something new. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And I don't care who knows. I'm willing for it to be spread. I don't care because I'm not going to be offended about people knowing what's really going on because God already knows and I want it out because I want help and I want a future. I want to move forward. I want to see Satan and my flesh and the world losing ground. And I want to see Jesus in me gaining ground. And I'm sick and tired of the same old thing and being stuck. And the more I'm thinking about this and the more I'm thinking about these past three years and just situation after situation is going through my head of heart conditions and a lot of tears because I, I can stand and preach my heart out. But if the seeds of the word are just continuing bouncing off, continuing to get snuffed out, choked out, plucked up, it's exhausting. It's discouraging unless our hearts change, unless we can receive. There was also a lot of prayers of victory, and it's this. Would you allow our church in this next year to experience abundant fruitfulness? How is that going to happen? When you war against the world, when you war against the flesh, when you war against the devil, and this is where Jesus ends in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil, there's good soil out there. Somebody say it's out there, but is it in here? Because it seems like this is, this is one of the four Somebody help me out with percentages. One-fourth, 25%, one out of every four. I'm not saying that this is a, a science, that this is a mathematical equation for the receptivity of people that hear the word. So what if one in four have good soil? That's not a great percentage. What if only 25% on a weekly basis stepping out of a small group and stepping out of church on a Sunday morning one in four. What if 25% say that's going to take root, that's going to grow, and that's going to bear fruit because I'm going to fight this week? 25% is not an awesome number. As we think about a new year, we also expect the war is going to rage. The question is, am I going to win? Is there going to be victory in my life? Verse 20, what does God want for us? As the word goes out, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They hear it, they hear it, and accept it and bear fruit. How do you know that you have good soil? How do you know that you're teachable? How do you know that you have a heart that's receptive to God's word? You don't have to accuse anybody of judging you. We can see if you're bearing fruit. 
Everybody knows the condition of your heart because they're watching your life. That's the expectancy is that Jesus is like, you're going to bear much fruit if your heart receives it. If you have good soil, your life is going to change. If your life continues in the same broken patterns, you have to be able to say, I'm not going into a new year looking around at what the problem is. It's right here. I am one of the three. It's worldly. It's satanic. It's fleshly and carnal. And it's most of those who hear the word. And I don't want that to be any of us. Instead, somebody say instead. Here we go. Instead, fruitfulness. What kind of fruit? Jesus is like, I don't want you to just pop an orange or an apple on your tree on occasion once in a while. What does he say? This isn't like a a wild, audacious kind of man-made thing. Jesus expected people that have good soil 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is wild to me that Jesus didn't just say, man, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. It's all good. We all make mistakes. We're all only human. Jesus said, if you're really saved and your heart is receptive and you have good soil, 30, 60, 100. Why does he paint that picture? Because he's talking about abundant fruit, obvious to all. When people drive by the orchard, they go, those trees are full. And if they're empty and if there's rotten fruit, anybody with common sense driving by says, there's a problem in that tree. That is a dead tree. That is a decaying tree. There's a problem with that root system. And if it's not identified, it's going to be chopped down. God's heart for us is good soil. There's only one soil that he says, this is it. This is where your heart needs to be. And so the question, is that where your heart is today? Because you don't have to leave here staying with that same heart condition. And so one thing that we want to know for, for sure is, is my problem satanic? Is it demonic? Is this spiritual warfare that I'm dealing with? Is this my flesh? Where do I need to wage war? How do I fight this battle to keep a heart that has good soil? I would leave you with this, and this is overly simplistic, but I want to be practical. If your primary issue is with your thinking and your thought life, you can connect the dots that Satan works in the mind because he's the father of lies and if you are tortured with reoccurring thoughts and, and suspicion all the time and who's against you and, and always on guard and always looking to be offended, it's satanic. And you can stay defeated or you can fight and win. And if the issue is, I want, I must have, I can't stop, I keep giving in, if it's not a thinking thing, but it's a wanting thing, be pretty confident. This is a flesh thing. This is a, I need to put to death the desires of my flesh. I need to change, not by warring against demons. I I need to address the issues of fighting in the spirit against my flesh. Thinking versus wanting. Overly simplistic, but I wonder where does the battle rage with you that creates a condition of soil that's not good? I want you to have these as your, your homework. Can I say the H word in church? That's so wrong, isn't it? You can talk about hell. You can say hell, just not homework. Here we go. Depending on the type of soil, I want you to be able to do some self-assessment. So here is your, here's your assessment. My inside assessment is this. Am I hard? Does that describe me? Am I that type of soil? If so, turn from sin. Do it out loud. Not just to yourself of, yeah, I should turn. Read the word. 
Maybe you need to stop reading the word quietly and you need to start speaking the word and reading it out loud. Pray to God and not just quietly or good intentions or when you're in the car, but instead like longer and longer times of out loud praying alone with others. I don't know what 2024 looks like, but what if it looks like I am starting a pattern of turning from sin. I am starting this new pattern of I'm reading the word every day. I'm starting a new pattern where not quietly, but loudly, I am praying and I'm talking to God and I'm crying out. And what if today you said, I see that my heart is hard. Somebody needs to know because I need help with these three things. But maybe that's not you. Maybe this week, part of the work that God's calling you to do is, am I rocky? Am I up and down and up and down? So excited. I'm so done. I want to get really close. I want, I want to jump into a small group. I want nothing to do with those people. And that all happens in a week. We talked about this in the past weeks. We said, shift your geography. Get away from the people, from the places that keep sucking you back in and wooing you to cut off the root system where it should be growing. How about chemistry? I'm not sleeping and I'm not eating. Can we start there? If you are continually not eating right, if you are not getting sleep, what happens to your spiritual life? Do you believe there's a correlation? I hope you do. There's something that, that some of us know, I get up at 3 a.m., but on Sunday mornings, but I know, it's like, what's wrong with you? P part of my issue is all the rest of the week, I am trying so hard. I need nine hours of sleep. I need to sleep nine hours. If I do not get sleep, I am not a pastor. I'm not even a Christian, okay? All right, I know myself. If I eat or don't eat certain things, I know where I go spiritually, there is a correlation and I'm going to fight the right battles, not just physically removing myself from places, but also what I'm putting in and how I'm taking care. And how about your mindset? Because you can do all those and never start thinking differently. What does it look like to have accountability to shift your mindset? And I don't know, I don't know if you're weedy, maybe not weedies. We're not, we're not talking about eat your weedies. That, that's a different sermon for a different day. We're talking about weed e weedy environments, weedy relationships, worldliness choking you out how are you doing in an area of sexuality relationships finances communication your media all of the influences that you allow and that you saturate yourself with change the level of your growth your maturity pace because you can't chase after jesus and chase after the world at the same time the world wins you can't live straddling both one's going to conquer the other I don't know what you're feeding the most. I don't know what you're giving into the most. But what if this new year could be a year? What if Christmas could be a time of reflection? What type of soil am I? And if not good, something has to happen quickly.